It's Thursday, March 26th, 2020. I'm giving you the date because we're living in a, in a strange time right now. A time of the coronavirus or COVID-19. And one demographic that doesn't seem to get discussed that much in the media is pregnant women and how this virus may affect them and their unborn child. So this is why today I'm speaking with Sorka O'Brien, who is an OBGYN or a gynecologist at the National Maternity Hospital or Hollis Street here in Dublin, which is where myself and Rachel have been going for the last few months to get our scans and checkups. And although this information is changing quite quickly, I think we're better off not panicking and instead informing ourselves as to what we're up against. Because this is a war, uh, not one that involves action, but one that involves staying at home, washing our hands, practicing social distancing. So I, I had tons to learn off Sorka. We did this on a Skype call. So this is not available on video. This is audio only. And I hope you learnt tons. I really appreciate the questions that people sent in. I made sure to ask them on your behalf. If you listen to this podcast and something comes up, you have a question, feel free to get in touch with me uh, or even with Sorka and reach out to her. She's not available though on social media. So you can send me a message and I, I this is something I am going to be touching on again in the coming months. So without further ado, here is Sorka. Hey Sorka, how's it going? It's going fine. Quarantine. <laughs> We're in quarantine. <laughs> We're, well, I suppose this is not officially lockdown yet, is it? No, no, um, definitely not. I mean, I don't think we'd I don't think we'd ever see a situation that you'd see in other countries as strict. I mean, we look at like the likes of China. I suppose as a demographic, they're a much different people um, they're much more obedient when their government tells them to do something they do it and they don't question it as much um, I think obviously in Italy the situation has gotten so bad that they have had to put really strict movement restrictions on people um, and you really only leave if you have to go to one of the jobs that are deemed completely necessary or if you need to get food or medical supplies. Like there, there are, I think, like two weeks ago, that there were still people who were going out for exercise and they were taking quite a daily jog and they were being very flippant about it. But I think things are getting much more serious. People have to have a self-completed um, document that states very clearly who they are, what they're doing, where they're going and why they're going there. Um, and they have to produce that to the Italian police when they're out and about. So it just kind of speeds up the whole process, I think, of inquiries for the police as well. Yeah. Um, but it's much stricter. I mean, at the moment, based on the, the announcement yesterday, I didn't really see much of a difference to what they'd been saying in the previous time, except they were more directive about which companies and businesses should close. So the likes of beauticians and salons and coffee, coffee shops and restaurants had to be closed, as opposed to advising you know, if you couldn't adhere to the social distancing or the physical distancing criteria that you shouldn't be functioning or attending those those places. Um, and then obviously now the, the Gardaí have a little bit more legislative powers to be able to disperse crowds and to be able to make arrests of individuals that aren't strictly adhering to the social distancing policies. 
the announcement yesterday <laughs> I, I missed it because so, so did i i've been so cons- i got a message on whatsapp i needed a break I'd be like we're on lockdown yeah but i i so to, for the for the um because this is evolving so quickly it's worth saying mm, that it's, the 25th, yeah, it's very dynamic it, it's the 25th of march today as we're having mm. this conversation and um was it leo who did the announcement yesterday yeah, so I kind of missed it too. I have a, a an almost two month old little one, so she takes up a lot of my attention. And um, he, there was a special news bulletin, and he basically came on, and they gave a little bit more directive guidance about what people should and shouldn't do. Mm. Um, so they said, you know, people within households can obviously continue to congregate within the household number they're in. So if you had a family of five or six, if you go out as a family. You can have five or six people in that group because you live together, you're exposed to each other all the time. But other than that, you're not allowed to meet up in groups of more than four in public spaces. Um, mm. So if you have a group of six or seven hanging out on the corner or in the shop chatting, the police technically have the um, powers to go and to force you to disperse. And if you don't, they can arrest you. Wow. Um, and there was, I think there was arrests, there was two arrests yesterday um, of individuals who, it's, you know, these new things that people do to get on the internet and it kind of forms a wave of viral videos that people produce. So there was an incident in particular of, a, I think, a nurse who was coming home from work from her night shift and she was going along the pathway in Clontarf and there was a group of youths and the new craze is to um, cough on people, you know, like, oh, I coughed and you've got corona. And there was quite a large number of them and it was quite intimidating. Um, there was about 20 of them, I think. And they, were, they surrounded her and they were coughing on her. And the police got involved there. And I think there was an arrest in Dungannon in Waterford and an arrest in Dunleary. Um, again, like, the, one of the arrests was because the individual was coughing on the guards. Um, so that can be seen as, I suppose, technically assault. Yeah. If you're implying I have coronavirus and I'm coughing on you to give it to another thing is people are licking products in public places like in supermarkets mm-hmm. um, and like put rubbing saliva on handrails. Like it's just so disgusting. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, can't imagine what people. Yeah, that's the thing. I suppose for young people, it probably seems like a bit of a holiday for them. It kind of good because they're not seen as the as the ones that are in danger. So therefore, mm. um, they may look back at this summer and have fond memories or this spring and have fond memories you know I I know I know um like to be honest I I am worried about my parents I mean they live down Mm, me too yeah and I think everyone's worried about their parents but the other thing that makes it more intense for me is the fact that my girlfriend Rachel is I haven't told you this actually is um oh I saw your video the one that you did where it was just yourself so congratulations oh oh, thanks a lot (laughs) yeah yeah, so she's almost four months now. Um, I get okay. the weeks and the months, but she's she's sixteen weeks. She's sixteen weeks. Yes, I think so. And um, yeah, but um, we go over the weeks. Yeah, she must be. I think she might be seventeen. Okay, I should know that really, but she's she's very pregnant. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> and yeah. um, I I think that 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 I this is what part of the reason from a selfish point of view why I'm so interested to speak to you because I do have worry um mm. because we don't i don't know that much about it so um mm. what what's your understanding of how this 
based on what we know about how it may affect mm. pregnant women? So I suppose that's the problem is that because it's a new virus there, I mean, this has only kicked off in China since what middle end of December. Um, so the, to really say that you could categorically say X, Y, or Z isn't really true because the evidence base that we have is so limited because it's, as you said, it's an evolving dynamic process. Um, they're kind of treating this episode of coronavirus similar to the SARS epidemic and the MERS epidemic. Um, and, the, you know, the, the stereotypical flus that we have, the H1N1. Um, and really, the evidence shows that they're, the evidence is kind of changing um, based on the numbers that are coming out. And obviously, populations are different. But the original evidence from China and the, the numbers of pregnant women that were exposed and infected during that time was that it didn't increase the risk of miscarriage in the first trimester, which was good. Um, and that generally the women who became very unwell probably had other medical conditions at the same time. However, we do know that fit young individuals um, can contract illnesses and everybody is different. Every person reacts differently to different things. Um, so technically women would be put in the higher risk category when they're pregnant. Um, we do say that women are slightly immunocompromised when they're pregnant um, because you have to allow technically a foreign object to live within your body um, for a significant period of time. Um, that's where I've always kind of explained it to women in a way to understand um, and we know that when women contract flu viruses like H1N1, they have the potential to become much sicker when they're pregnant. Um, but this is not a flu virus. This is different. And that's what people keep comparing it to the flu. It's not the flu. It's a, set, it's a different virus altogether. It's the coronavirus. Um, I think when we look at like a lot of the advice I've been looking at is with respect to healthcare professionals, because obviously we have trainees that are pregnant and I am in a very privileged position, I suppose I'm on maternity leave. So I've been protected from a lot of what's going on, but I have been very concerned about my work colleagues and friends. I'm worried about the stress that they're going to be under. I'm worried about the, the physical pressures um, of the additional call they might have to take on because they've got sick colleagues. Um, and it can be very, you know, I mean, it's a stressful job anyway, so it can be even more stressful when you have something like this going on. Um, but so I've been kind of keeping an eye on things for healthcare professionals and with the RCOG is the Royal College of Ops and Gynae, they've kind of said that women under 28 weeks aren't at particularly increased risk when they're working in the healthcare um, setting, but over 28 weeks, they're advising that those pregnant staff members aren't in direct clinical roles coming into contact with people who may have COVID. Um, so they're advising that they move more to, um, I'm just keeping an eye on my baby there, sorry, <laughs> that they move more to, um, you know, kind of admin phone clinics, things like that. Um, and no matter what advice somebody gives you, you're always going to be a bit worried, you know, um, if people can reassure you all they want to put, um, like there have been pregnant women um, pre women in Ireland who have been pregnant who have contracted this and have done well um, and touch wood that continues um, but there's always going to be a statistic you know um, so that's think all you can do is keep doing what you're doing and you know keep her cocooned and protected and follow the hand hygiene protocols and um, kind of the social distancing and things like that as much as possible. Well uh, it's funny though because Although the social distancing and 
as you said, keeping her cocooned is really important. What mm. is she's finding very, what we're finding very challenging is that I assume when you're pregnant, I don't know what it's like, but like, you know, you want to nest and you want to be around other women and t- talk about yes. buying things for the baby and the, yes, and now, yeah, community like community exactly yeah i am okay being on my own actually i'm okay like working on my own and doing things i'm kind of used to that mm-hmm. but for say rachel or whoever else is pregnant in this situation mm. to not be able to go and see your family to not be able to go yes. and see, that that is i think gonna cause i'm sure for women out there that are pregnant all around the world yeah are finding that very difficult that that's yeah that isolation well, I'm finding it now. I mean, like, you know, I've obviously had my baby and she's eight weeks old tomorrow and I live five minutes from my mom and I can't see my mom. My mom hasn't held my child for two weeks mm-hmm. and it's her grandchild, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, so there's that aspect of it. There's, there's definitely babies that are being born now whose grandparents may not meet them for weeks um you know and so there, there's the whole slew of consequences and um you know kind of the the different things that arise out of one issue it's all encompassing and that's what i think is the huge thing about this particular situation is it's affecting everybody in some way um and i can imagine that there are women who may have anxiety already that pregnancy can worsen that anxiety and then you have anxiety in a pan- you have pregnancy in a pandemic where you're worried about your health you're worried about your unborn baby's health you're worried about your partner's health you're worried about your parents health you know you might be worried about your job and um, your financial situation might change drastically in the middle of all this um, and I think there's an awful lot more concerns that go along with this that are that reach beyond the the physical um, that yeah you might not become very unwell with it but you know, as you said, like you don't have the same meetups, the same potential to join groups. But I do think that that's where the online um, and kind of, you know, kind of phone messaging comes in um, from the point of view of, I think, Zoom and the different meetup sites are probably experiencing a massive, <laughs> massive upsurge in use, which is great oh, yeah. for them. They're going to do well out of it. But, um, you know, I think there is a way to get around that. Um, to have those kind of face-to-face but without having a sit down on a coffee with somebody you have a face-to-face through a screen um, because the other thing as well as the antenatal education has been affected because they can't have groups of women in the hospitals for antenatal classes um, you know when people are going for their appointments their partners aren't able to come mm. um, so there's that you know that whole experience of pregnancy and and what you may have imagined for you going through that journey has completely changed and it's out of everyone's control and um, you know which is it's difficult and i think this is an extraordinary time um, and it's going to be historic you know and people Absolutely. will always remember remember where like what happened or how it was and like i'll be telling her in years from when you were born literally like in before a pandemic was was announced all over the world and i'm sure you know. there's going to be a lot of babies born in about nine months as well because people are at home a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's always a bit concerning whenever there's a situation where people have little to do so we always have the storms the snowstorm and ophelia um christmas and big big uh sporting events i think somebody looked at that actually for <laughs> one of our conferences somebody looked at the birth rate 
Um, I don't think it was statistically significantly different, but there was definitely an increase in numbers. Yeah. In the 10 <laughs> months after, yeah. yeah. Um, is it, can it be transmitted or is there an evidence that it can be transmitted from the mother to the baby while uh, the baby's unborn? Not based on current evidence, no. Um, there was a case in the UK a couple of weeks ago of a woman who went into hospital unwell um, with suspected pneumonia. Um, and obviously the, the only information I have is what was in the media. So that would be limited to protect her confidentiality. But the, she, her baby was born. Um, I'm not sure if that was done as an emergency to help with her treatment or if she went into labor herself. Um, and around the time of the birth of the baby, the lady's swabs came back positive. So they automatically tested the baby who came back positive. So it's unclear if there was what we call vertical transmission, which is mm. transmission either in the bloodstream from mother to baby across the placenta or during the birth, if a baby is born the traditional route um, vaginally, there are some conditions that can be transmitted as the baby is passing through the birth canal um, and they tend to be viral. But there, there isn't any evidence to say that that is occurring um, and they had... They had about 300 cases of pregnant women infected with COVID in China and they mm. didn't report vertical transmission there. So at the moment, based on the evidence that we have, there's no evidence that that, that is happening. But, if, but when, you know, that can change. Yeah, when, when the baby's born, though, mm. is, isn't the procedure, to, from what I've read, um, or Rachel's Tommy, is uh, <laughs> for the baby to put on the mother's chest. Is that what they do? Yeah, so skin to skin is what skin we would encourage um, straight away. And that's for bonding. It's to help the baby maintain their temperature. It's also, um, it helps them regulate their own heart rate because they, you know, they're, they're basically as close to the mum as possible. Um, and the more physical contact you have with your baby as, as a mother or a father, um, the more the oxytocin hormone level rises in the bloodstream. Um, from the, the gland in the brain and oxytocin is what they call the love drug so it's released after intercourse um, to promote bonding between a partner and um, partner couple but also with babies um, oxytocin is there for contractions for labor but it's also there for um, to help promote breastfeeding and um, kind of the contraction of the ducts to let milk come and it's there for bonding so there's a lot of focus was on the bonding of the mother and the baby but there's also a lot of research now with the fathers and the babies. So the more physical contact you have with your child, the more interaction you have with your child, the more the father's oxytocin rises as well. So skin to skin is good for both parents. Mm. But, but um, then and if, there's... Go on, yeah, sorry. Sorry. No, you were... <laughs> I was going to say, but then if the baby's... But let's say the mother had COVID mm. and mm. would she be tested in... Would they... she be tested when she goes into labour or before that at this stage? Um, only if she had symptoms. Okay, so let's say if she didn't have symptoms and then she mm. gave birth, would mm. they still put the as same? I mean, if they put the child then on the mother's chest, could the couldn't she yeah. transmit something then? So the transmission route is through droplet infection. So um, what that means is any fluids that come from your mouth or your nose. So that's why they say to cough into your elbow or sneeze into your elbow because you're not doing it onto your hands. So then you're not going to have droplets on your hands and then virus on your hands. Um, so viruses are funny. Um, what they are is they're defined as obligate intracellular parasites, which means that they can survive on surfaces for a defined period of time. Um, but they can't 
like a bacteria can grow on a, a surface if there's a bit of food there for it to, to function with. Viruses can't. They have to be inside a cell in a body in order to replicate and duplicate and then kind of amass numbers so they can cause an infection. Um, so if you're not coughing on somebody or sneezing on somebody and the droplets don't get on their hands and then they put their hands to their mouth, that's why there's all this advice about washing your hands, not touching your face, use tissues and discard them straight away. Don't use hankies where you're going to have you know, droplets with viruses in it for a period of time. Um, if the mum was on the chest, unless she was, I suppose, coughing and sneezing on the baby, you'd say technically if she has COVID, there shouldn't be infection there. But the baby's already been exposed in a way because it's been inside the mum and the virus is in the bloodstream. Yeah. But then that's contradictory to the lack of what we call vertical transmission inside the womb. Um, but they're not they're not promoting, you know, mothers and babies to be separated. If the mother has COVID-19, they're not saying that they should be separated and isolated. Um, there was a case of a lady who was admitted to hospital, I think in my local hospital, she was on Twitter um, and she was being worked up for COVID-19. She was in an isolation room and her three-month-old baby was with her because she's breastfeeding. You know, so there's women who will be solely breastfeeding who may get who may get the virus. They're not saying to stop breastfeeding and they're not saying to to separate yourself from your baby. Unless obviously the woman is so sick that she physically can't feed the baby mm. and she needs to be in hospital and have increased support for that reason. Right. You know. Um what's I know <coughs> you've been you've been on maternity leave for a couple of months now, but what are yeah. you hearing from the, as they call it, the front line in terms of how yeah. the environment has changed over the last couple of weeks? Um, so I think, obviously, as I said, yes, I'm, I'm kind of in an ivory tower. I'm very protected from it. But because I'm on maternity leave um, I'm, and I'm a, a trainee representative as well for the specialty, um, I'm trying to do what I can to liaise with any issues that people are having and trying to communicate as much as possible between committees and the, the kind of the trainees or the, the NCHDs. Um, I think there's been huge logistical mobilization in the last few weeks within the health service. And I think the leadership and the innovation that's been shown has been huge. Um, maternity services, there are standalone units in, in Dublin and they will be, I suppose, shielded somewhat from the the major influx of patients obviously we only deal with with pregnant women and with women who have gynecological problems there are maternity wards in general hospitals as well where there might be that bit more exposure mm -hmm. um there's been huge changes in the larger units and how the teams are being run and, and how the, the 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 rotas are being run and staffing levels so there's been a cut, massive cutback in elective non-urgent procedures um so obviously routine gynecology uh, surgery is not being done the gynecology clinics a lot of them are phone-based clinics um and anyone who's deemed to be kind of semi-urgent or urgent is being seen for a procedure that they need and um, so they would be the suspected cancer cases um usually um those kind of activities will continue the way the antenatal clinic visits have been set up um, have been changed. Now, every hospital is going to do their, is going to manage their own situation slightly differently. Um, we don't get directives that come from the health service telling um, them how to manage their, um, 
I suppose, the infrastructure itself. Um, but I know specifically within Hollis Street, they have set up uh, spaces in the clinic so that people are fully aware of what two metres apart is. So they have chairs all along so people sit on. Um, they also have um, a dedicated COVID section and a non-COVID section. So if somebody thinks that they have COVID-19 or if they have symptoms, there's a whole pathway of presenting to the hospital that you bring a phone line that when you get to the hospital you ring it again so that the people meet you with the protective um the personal protective equipment on um you're brought to a dedicated area in the hospital so they're kind of separating normal patients and suspected covid patients from the start they have built a hospital within a hospital so it's an isolation area within the hospital and it has negative pressure system set up and that's all only been done in a matter of weeks um, obviously we know within the general health service, again, non-elective or non-urgent elective um, stuff has been cancelled. Um, a lot of outpatients clinics have been cancelled. Staff are being redeployed from certain areas. So if, if you routinely work in one area that's not going to be functioning because of this situation, you're redeployed to another area so that staffing levels can be maintained. Um, and really what I suppose what we are seeing is people aren't presenting to A&E for reasons that aren't deemed necessary if it's not an accident or an emergency they're not going to the hospital because they don't want to be in that hospital environment because of the risk of infection and um, people's lives have changed so we're not having the same occupational injuries we're not having the same road traffic collision numbers because we oh, don't yeah. have the same numbers on the roads yeah true um the worrying thing is you might see more diy incidents because you know you're gonna have more people doing stuff around the house um, maybe oh, get oh, those yeah. high-powered tools. So we have to be careful that way. Um, and I suppose one of the other concerning things that you would be a bit worried about in this kind of environment, where people are in each other's company a lot more, is potentially fractious relationships. So there would be women at risk of domestic violence that you know may not be able to get outside of the house that that more frequently. So that's. That's another thing. I've gone off on a tangent there because we were talking about what they've done in the hospital, and then I went off to <laughs> society. I tend to do that. No, no but that, but that's interesting though because I, I mean, mm. as you said, this is historic. It's going to change society, culture mm. for for a long time. How do you think yeah. it's going to change? How do you think it's going to change how healthcare? For example, say I teach yoga for a living, and mm. I mean almost overnight now teaching yoga online is a thing you, you can get paid for it's, yeah whereas i yeah i always thought about that as a possibility but within a week mm. i'm like oh right this is what i'm going to do now i'm going to teach yoga online yeah but how, how yeah. practical is taking things online when it comes to the gynecology um i suppose to a degree you can take a good history and um, you can ask all the right questions but you can't do an examination online mm. um and depending on what the issue is you know, there can be a lot that's based on examination and then some investigations like ultrasound. Um, now, they are continuing uh, on a limited basis based on um, the, the need of the patient and how serious their condition might be. But there's a lot of what we do is based on examination. Now, I've seen, like, there has been kind of GP um, online doc that, that was set up very much, I suppose, as a commercial enterprise and um, that people saw as very convenient. You could sit in your home, you could chat to the GP, get a prescription issued. Um, but there's there's only so much you can gauge from a conversation. I mean, I could look at you, if you were complaining of respiratory symptoms, I can look at you and see, do I think 
Do I think you have increased work of breathing when I talk to you? Are you able to complete sentences? Um, can I hear you cough? If you have a phlegm, can I see the color? But I can't listen to your chest. Um, you know, I can't take your pulse. I can't maybe see you in the appropriate light to assess if there's a blueness to your lips. Um, and it's the same with gynecology. I mean, I can't ask, you know, I can't do an online consultation and, and examine a woman through the medium of of online um, video chat because that's not appropriate um, for one. Um, and secondly, you know, you do a physical examination. It's not just what you look, obviously for, for women, it's your pelvis. So most of what's going on is inside your pelvis and you need to do a physical internal examination to assess that. So yeah. um, I think there's, there's been a lot of innovation with that. And I think people are getting around a lot of challenges and obstacles. Um, I think a lot of people have been able to take their businesses online, which I think is brilliant. Um, but it's it's not possible for for every aspect. And with healthcare in particular, um, you know, I think that rapport of being in the presence of somebody and getting that kind of physical behavioral interaction and being able to put them at ease, picking up on physical cues and um, body language. I think you might lose an awful lot of that mm. by using a, a screen interface, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had um, uh, a couple of questions from from people, and one of them mm. was, um, "Are well, actually, I, I, I'll read it out because I don't I want to get yeah. it word for word." Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it necessary to attend routine? And the routine is in funny years scans yeah. when the pregnancy is going well. Are we better off uh, staying <laughs> home, avoiding hospitals? So. I suppose what I would want to be clear about there, the person, as they talk about routine scans or they talk about routine appointments, because um, the the main scans that people might get in pregnancy is a booking scan. So to date the pregnancy and ensure that it's a single pregnancy or a twin pregnancy. Right. Um, and not all units are able to, not all units provide a formal booking scan in the department. They might have it on their first visit at the hospital with the doctor. Um, and then the other routine scan that we offer everyone is what we call an anatomy scan or an anomaly scan. And that's usually about 20 to 22 weeks. So you'll be having that yourself soon. Um, and that scan takes about a half an hour or so. And what they're looking for is the major structures. They're looking at the brain, the face, the, you know, the lips and the, the palate to see if there are any um, abnormalities there. They're looking at the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, um, the stomach, the hands and the feet. Um, and the legs and they're they're looking for major structural problems that might be visible on scan um, and I would say absolutely attend those scan appointments that you're offered um, the antenatal appointments certainly the hospitals have stretched them out a little bit um, as is safe uh, reasonably to try and limit the women that are presenting to hospital um, and then a lot of women will have what we call combined care where they're seeing the GP as well they might be limited too. Um, I think for, you know, obviously I can't say to somebody that everything is okay based on a snapshot conversation. Um, but if you're, failing, if you're feeling your baby move well, um, if you're feeling well in yourself, your kind of your appetite is okay, your bowels are moving okay, your, you know, you're passing urine okay, and you're up and about doing your normal things, um, you know, obviously your pregnancy is going well. Mm. But I would say to somebody to definitely attend their routine appointments that they're offered um, because the hospital are only going to see you a handful of times in a normal routine pregnancy or a community midwife will see you a handful of times in a normal routine pregnancy. 
there are going to be women that are higher risk pregnancies that have medical problems that will have more frequent reviews. Um, and then there are going to be reasons why women present out of hours, you know, for different problems. But scans, formal scans really only happen at two, two points in a pregnancy. But when people come to a hospital appointment, we'll often do a quick scan just to have a look in, like have a look at the fluid, have a look at the heartbeat. Um, we're not doing kind of what we call routine scanning there. That's an antenatal clinic appointment. And I would say that women should attend for all of the appointments that they are sent, particularly at this time, because we're not going to be sending unnecessary appointments. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What On that scan, that one you mentioned where they check everything, um, mm. what, what are the... I mean, I don't expect the exact number, but percentage-wise, what are the what's the chances of there being something abnormal? Oh well, it depends on the it depends on the organ. Um, I mean, I don't have the exact statistics off my top of my head of what the the different congenital anomalies would be in in the Irish population. Um, but there are physical issues that are only physical, and there's obviously growth issues that may be picked up. Yeah. Um, do you want to? I'm just <laughs> keeping an eye on her. She's shouting in there. Um, so they're, you know, they. Um, I mean, the the rates are are. I can't say what the rates are to be honest off the top okay. of my head, but I can look them up and I can send them on to you so that you have them for the podcast and you could read them out. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah. Have we got time for one more question? You one more quick one, yeah. Just she's yeah. probably looking for a feed. This will be uh, you soon. So, <laughs> so the question was um, about yoga um helping yeah. the breached baby I so um question here but can yoga help yeah, with the breached baby to turn a baby so there's i suppose there's probably no randomized controlled trials um with different <laughs> yoga techniques to say if they do nothing versus if they do this technique and looking at it in a very controlled environment um that x number of babies turned and uh, you know, that's statistically significant or not on a research level. What mm. I will tell you is that about 28 weeks, um, 20% of babies will be um, breached, which is one in five. But by mm. term, which is 37 weeks onwards, only 5% will be breached. So that's one in 20. Um, and the majority of babies will turn themselves. Um, mm. If babies are breached towards kind of the 36, 37 week mark, we in the hospital can offer to try and turn your baby physically. And that's essentially us putting our hands on your tummy and trying to guide your baby around. And it works in about 50 to 70% of the time, depending on who's doing it and what techniques they're using. Um, some of those babies, about 25% of those babies will turn back because they're determined they're not coming out the traditional, they're coming out the sunroof. Um, there are other techniques they talk about spinning babies. And these are kind of community um, techniques that I've heard of um, where they use different, um, I think it's kind of like a towel kind of thing where they, I, I, I can't describe it. I'd have to look it up properly. Um, mm. But it's not promoted in the hospitals as a technique. Um, by the, the midwives are told not to do it. Um, there's also moxibustion, which is like a herbal thing where you get these, um, it's, it's almost like incense and you light it and it stinks. It's, it's um, Chinese herbal medicine. And that's supposed to stimulate um, pressure points as well and to help the baby turn. Um, and there's also the concept of getting down on your hands and knees like you're washing a floor because the theory is that you give mm-hmm. your baby more room and you're hanging so your baby can turn. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing I've heard of that there may be some evidence for is it's a, like a ginger paste behind your ear, but I need to look into the evidence for that a little bit more. That was something I've been told about by an anaesthetist. 
but whether there are yoga techniques to turn your baby and whether I could say that they categorically work, I can't, I can't say that um, scientifically, no. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Um, but as I said, one in five will be one in five will be breached at 28 weeks and then one in 20 will be breached at term. So an awful lot of those babies will turn themselves spontaneously. Okay, that's great. Um, well, it's all good. Thank you so much. Um, it was, that, yeah, that, you're welcome. That, I hope that, it was helpful. It was, it was excellent. <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to our scan in a few weeks. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Are you going to find out what you're having or are you going to leave it as yeah. a surprise? No, I'm going to find out. Yeah. I'm find out. And then, well, I mean, I don't mind, but Rachel would like to, and I'm up for it. Yeah. Well, so. She wants to be prepared. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, it's lovely. It's a lovely time, <laughs> you know, like uh, try, uh, try and encourage her not to be too stressed about the, you know, what's going on and to try and enjoy her pregnancy um and i suppose to to i'll have a look and see if i can seek out online communities um that might be a little bit more prevalent now that this is kind of happening and kicking off and a little bit more of the online resources for pregnant women as well that you can link um for antenatal you know kind of education and um breastfeeding as well is another big thing i suppose that people want to prepare as much for um and i'll send them on to you as well so you can link them and i'll look up i'll look up a little bit about yoga for breach and the the statistic for congenital anomalies as well just so you can kind of you could read out that information then yourself yeah thank you so much thank you for listening if you'd like to do yoga online live with me every evening at 7 p.m gmt i'll be doing an instagram live class 60 minutes all you need is your phone and a little bit of space to practice. If you'd like to make a donation, since teaching yoga is my only source of income for our household, you can visit my website and look under the support tab. I am also launching a online platform for on-demand videos in really, really high quality. So full length 60 minute classes, there'll be two hour workshops coming up, there'll be tutorials and it'll all be online for a subscription. If you'd like early access to that and to avail of a coupon code, you can sign up to my newsletter by going to my website, Kevin Boy Yoga, and scrolling right down to the bottom. Pop in your email address, click submit, and you'll be first to know about when that platform launches. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'll catch up with you next week.